right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time to say. All right, let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Schwert and Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I don't know if you've heard this yet, but it in the regard that you got fired earlier this week, that Les Miles got fired earlier this week. What's Even the though best parting of happened? ways, Mitch Lightfoot going bananas last night, <laughs> Ochai getting mad and scoring a bunch of points. But earlier this afternoon, the week from hell was hit with an exclamation point. In what regard? In the regard that Kansas... <laughs> has now had a player test positive for COVID-19 and has been removed from the Big 12 tournament. The report first came from Matt Norlander of CBS Sports, and then we got the official press release from KU. A positive test this morning on the Kansas men's basketball team. KU has now withdrawn from the Big 12 tournament. Matt Norlander reported that the player who tested positive this morning played in last night's game which is scary on a number of fronts, the least of which is the idea that not just players on KU may have been spread the virus over the last couple of days or in the game last night, but also now they could have potentially transmitted the virus to players on the Oklahoma team. Bill Self released a statement, said, obviously we are disappointed and our players are disappointed that they can't continue to compete for the Big 12 championship. While we have been fortunate to avoid this throughout the season, there are daily risks with this virus that everybody participating is trying to avoid. We have followed the daily testing and additional protocols that have been set up for us. Unfortunately, we've got a bad break at the wrong time. I look forward to preparing my team in probably a unique way for next week's NCAA tournament. So that's interesting. That last line there would indicate that Bill Self still feels confident that KU is going to be ready to go by the NCAA tournament next week. Uh, You could potentially play Friday or Saturday. Remember, the first weekend of the tournament moved from Thursday, Friday to Friday, Saturday. That helps, especially if you get a Saturday game. Who knows if the NCAA will take that into account when scheduling this. Something else that Bill Self noted or that that is noted in this press release is that Kansas will remain in Kansas City in preparation for the NCAA tournament. So they're not going anywhere. I would imagine right now, everybody's getting tested today. One, two, three, however many times it needs, and I'd imagine nobody is hanging out with it. I, I would guess they're all sequestered in their own hotel rooms as they wait to see if anybody else has tested positive. But knowing that it's a player who played in last night's game, at the very least, you know you're if you are able to go by next Saturday, you're probably going to be shorthanded. Yeah. Um, Friday, whenever the first game is. When you say shorthanded, like, isn't there a real possibility that if KU is able to play next week in the NCAA tournament, like there's a walk-on who has to play? 
Yeah, I mean, the, you played seven guys last night. Now that's we the thing. I mean, we don't know. Are the players all in their own independent rooms? Are they have room? Do they have roommates? So, like, if there's one player who tested positive, surely his roommate. So I would guess. After David McCormick and Tristan Inaruna went into COVID protocol on Tuesday, just my guess would be that everybody got their own individual rooms. I would imagine you were taking this as seriously as possible and taking as many precautions as you could. But now knowing that a player tested positive, we're kind of deducing here. Reckless speculation, another addition. Let's go. Um, I'm guessing Dave and or Tristan Inaruna got covid and I would guess now we heard Bill Self say this last night. Uh, somebody, I think it was Matt Tate who asked if uh, if he knew where they were watching the game. He said, I don't know. I didn't check in with him. They're probably watching it in their room. So it's now making me wonder if, okay, both of those guys, one of those guys probably had to have it. Otherwise, it's the world's worst coincidence that they entered COVID protocol, then somebody else tested positive. A couple days later, I'm guessing those guys have it. We don't know that, but that's my guess. And you look at the way that it works. This is C.J. Moore who is sort of breaking down how these COVID protocols work with a positive test versus somebody who has just been pulled out with contact tracing. uh, C.J. said this earlier today. When you test positive, that is day zero of your timeline unless you had symptoms before that. Then whichever day symptoms began, that would be day zero. On day 11, you're able to return as long as your symptoms have passed. So all we know as of right now is that David McCormick and Tristan and Aruna were put into COVID protocol on Tuesday. If they woke up feeling sick on Monday, then that would be day zero. If everything happened all at once on Tuesday, then that would be day zero. If that was day zero on March 9th, zero, one, two, three, four, today would be day four. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, day 11 would be next Friday. So theoretically, those guys should be back by next weekend, which is why Bill Self spoke with confidence on Tuesday that they would have their full complement of players by next week. Now, how close to 100% are those guys going to be? Is conditioning going to be a factor? I don't know. We saw Baylor struggle mightily. We've seen a lot of teams struggle coming back from COVID shutdowns. KU never had to shut down, but you're talking about, at least in one case, David McCormick, a guy who plays a very significant role on this team. I wouldn't expect him to be the 16-6 and David McCormick we've seen the last 12 games. I'll be completely honest. I would be surprised if KU was in the round of 32. Now, whether that means they aren't even able to play in the NCAA tournament to begin with, or they do get to play in the tournament, and then they're playing so shorthanded that it causes them to lose, it becomes really difficult to me because, I mean, he played in the game. Like, what are the chances that the other players on KU that might have been high-fiving him or rubbing bodies against him or in the same locker room together, in the huddles together, what are the chances that not another one has is going to test positive? Right right now, you might not have tested positive, but it might be incubating in your body and you might test positive on Saturday, on Sunday, on Monday of next week. That's the fear. Yeah. I mean, that's the big fear right And now. so you have to have five players uh, to be able to play. But realistically, that would mean KU has, because with walk-ons, I think KU has, what, 14 people on the team? Um 
that would mean KU has nine positive tests. If they have nine positive tests, even though you could say, well, technically they have five players they could play, they're not playing. If you have nine positive tests, that's probably past the threshold of saying, you know what, this is probably okay. So there's already that hurdle you have to clear, which I don't know if you're going to be able to at this point, to be completely honest. And then, like you said, you don't know the conditioning of these guys. With all the other teams and players that we've seen come back, Brady Manick at Oklahoma, it took him like three weeks to look back to normal. And then it's like, even if you do have some of your players back and you're missing others, you're playing lineups that haven't played together before. Um, like I said earlier, you might even have to play one of your walk-ons. Like, imagine if Chris, Chris Tehan is one of your starters. And yes, that would be maybe the greatest Kansas March Madness storyline ever if Chris, Chris Tehan hit like four three-pointers and propelled you to a win in the opening round. But the likelihood of that happening is low. Well, so now we know one player who tested positive today they won't be back, right? At least for the first weekend, right? Right. I mean, like something, else that, well, something else that CJ talked about was contact tracing versus testing positive. In order to get wiped out to a contact trace, this is according to CJ, you have to have been within six feet for a total of 15 minutes over a 24-hour period. These Connexon bracelets that everybody's wearing that tracks your movements, they all sort of communicate with one another so you know, okay, this guy tested positive. Let's see anybody who came within six feet of this guy for 15 minutes. If you get knocked out by contact tracing, you have to have seven straight days of negative testing. So what's going to happen now is that anybody who was within six feet of whichever player tested positive last night, which we don't know yet, for 15 minutes over a 24-hour period, whichever player that is, everybody, which I would assume, honestly, is pretty much anybody who was on the court with him. Maybe that won't end up being the case. I don't, I don't know. You don't really think about things in those terms, like how often are you within six feet of one of your teammates for 15 minutes at a time? Maybe in the locker room, maybe on the bus, who knows? So all of those guys now, are going to have to test negative for seven straight days. Today's Friday. So we won't know anything until next Friday. Mm-hmm. You are, we are going to be Which waiting. Which is the start of round one. We are going to be waiting with beta. Like, if, if KU can't play, we probably won't know until fr- at a week from today, the day of the game or the day before Which the game. Which is interesting because the NCAA has that rule in place where they can replace a team if they can't play, but it has to be, I think, within 48 hours of the game. You know game. what? That's not even true, though. That's not even true. We could know beforehand if positive yeah. tests start popping. So that's what I'm saying. If, so if, if you get if you get two or three positive tests, you're done. Right, they're gonna just replace them. I would think within 48 hours. Um, and, and who knows? Maybe the NCAA. I I don't I don't know if like they would factor this into their decision when a team plays or not. If they're being smart, they should because this isn't just a Kansas thing. Like we saw it happen to Virginia. Um, Duke, but they're not going to be in the NCAA tournament anyway, and a couple other schools have had to leave their NCAA or their conference tournament for similar reasons. They should have those teams that had to go through this now that are playing in the NCAA tournament play it on Saturday. You know, they might still not end up playing, but at least it gives you an extra day, and an extra day might be nothing. You know, it might not matter. They they might be uh, so done with COVID that it doesn't matter, but that one extra day could be the difference. Your margin for error right now is nothing. Yeah. You've got nothing, mm-hmm. which is why if, if I were a betting man, I'd say KU's probably not playing in the NCAA. I, if I if I were guessing, yeah, 
I would say Kansas' season is probably over. Which is really unfortunate because think about last year, no tournament for anybody. This year, I see, I, I keep seeing people say, well, okay, neck, and then it could be a three-year span without an NCAA tournament because you could have a one-year postseason ban next year. I'll go further than that. They have five level one violations. There's a chance they get a two- or three-year postseason ban. Like, there is a real chance you might not see Kansas in a March Madness. Now, this is ultimate doomsday, negative doom and gloom talk, but for four or five years. Not saying that'll happen, but, like, that is on the table. Yeah, now people are going to second guess, right? You play that game. Should you have even played in, in the Big 12 tournament to begin with? I feel worse for Oklahoma in that regard. Yeah, Oklahoma's probably pretty pissed, rightfully so. Now, a lot of that probably just stems from natural frustration of we didn't even do anything, and now our season's in jeopardy as well because they're going to have to do the same thing. Like, they're probably going to have to conduct some contact tracing and see if anybody, you know, who, whoever guarded, whoever played in that game, you probably were within six feet of them for more than 15 minutes. So that could easily wipe Oklahoma out and end their season as well. Because at this point, that's all we're going to be doing is, is waking up every single day, waiting to see if KU has announced that another player has tested positive. Because if that happens, it's not just the idea that whoever tested positive last night gave it to somebody else. It's that at this point, you connect the dots and say, well, whoever tested positive last night probably got it from Dave or Tristan or the same source as Dave or Tristan. And if that's the case, then that means they might not be the only one. If it's one positive test this morning, what if that becomes two or three by tonight? We said this on Tuesday that you're lucky. You feel lucky that it was only two guys on Tuesday because we've seen how quickly one guy turns into two, turns into eight, turns into the whole team shutting down for weeks. Mm -hmm. Maybe KU wasn't so lucky after all, and it was just delayed positive tests. And like you said earlier, the statement mentioned they're going to stay in Kansas City and get prepared for the NCAA tournament, but can you even risk that right now? Like, I, I know you might have certain guys who test negative on Saturday, but can you risk putting a practice together on Saturday? Because what happens if somebody is just in the incubation period and then they test positive for it on Sunday after you practiced on Saturday, and now you're for sure done for the tournament, and that's the risk you're going to have to take? Well, we could go into the NCAA tournament. Maybe we have a better chance of being there next week, but we're not going to get to practice for the next week. We'll talk more about this with Matt Galloway, Topeka Capital Journal. He's going to join us coming up here about 20 minutes or so. This opens brought to you by CycleZone Power Sports. Have you seen these three-wheeled motorcycles? Not the ones that look like tricycles, the ones with the two wheels up in the front. Yeah, those are coming from CycleZone Power Sports in North Topeka. They don't have eight legs, but they are called spiders. It's perfect for you if you want the freedom of a motorcycle, but something that's just a little bit easier to handle. Their U-Fit system is perfect to keep you comfortable and not have a long trip wear you out. Plus, you can get them with heated seats, heated grips, a six-speaker Bluetooth sound system, and a navigation system. It's the perfect travel companion. Now is where we'd normally go, say, go to CycleZonePowerSports.com, but you should just do yourself a favor and go see these spiders in person because they're awesome. CycleZone Power Sports on 24 Highway in North Topeka, just west of the Goodyear plant. He's Derek Johnson. I'm Nick Schwartz. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. 
there's a lot of things you might be not really living up to snuff about right now. Are you getting enough haircuts? Are you shaving enough? Are you keeping up with your personal hygiene? Well, one thing that you don't want to be a loser about is having that dirty car. You know, whether it's just driving around town, whether it's you picking up a friend, you want the clean car. And don't you want the sparkly clean car that you're proud of? Well, guess what? Tommy's Express Car Wash, they are going to hook you up with a great car wash that's going to get that car sparkly nice so that when you go to the store, everybody's looking at your car and says, oh man, where did that guy get his car washed? It's wash, rinse, repeat at Tommy's Express Car Wash. You can download the Tommy Club app today and enjoy endless washing for one low price. That's right, endless washing for one low price with the Tommy Club app. It's unlimited car washes, unlimited clean, shiny, and dry, unlimited use of exclusive app lane, unlimited access to all Tommy's Express locations, because there's a lot of them, unlimited guest service and most importantly, unlimited happiness. They've got the tools and expertise to keep your car clean inside and out. Their wash packages let you pay for the services you want, including Tommy Guard and Body Wax, wheel cleaning and tire gloss, underbody flush and spot free rinse, and vacuuming. So download the Tommy Club app today and enjoy that endless washing. Go to Tommy's Express Car Wash. I know it's sort of an afterthought at this point, but I mean, I mean, we're not really going to spend that much time talking about last night's game, but it should at least be noted that Ochai Abaji looked terrific last night. In against what Oklahoma. regard? In the regard that he scored 26 points, career high. Got four, angry. Four of eight from three-point range. And yeah, he did look a little fired up there in that stretch in the second half where he made threes on three straight possessions. I think We've it was never after seen him do that before. He got a was it Harkless, I think for Oklahoma, like kind of yeah. hit him in the chin area. I don't think he did it on purpose. No, 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 but he was not happy with it nonetheless. Inadvertent contact yeah. is enough to make him angry. So does like Bill Self need to orchestrate somebody in pregame warm-ups on the team like accident, you know, Mitch. Oh, no, I accidentally threw an elbow to Ochaya. Oh. I think Mitch would be the guy to do that because well or Dave Dave's not there because Dave. Well, that the, would truly be inadvertent. I mean, Dave yeah. is all elbows and knees. You know what I mean? And th- those guys just sort of clumsy, and not clumsy, but. No, I think clumsy. Okay, that clumsy. Works. Yeah, I'm I just, just bummed with my because instincts there. After that all happened last night, I was ready to. This was going to be the main discussion for me today. Not all this COVID talk. It was going to be Ochai Baji is Gordon from Dodgeball. The nerdy guy? Yeah, the guy who, remember, um, Patrick O'Hulian's like, get angry. Yeah. He's just, like, terrible. And he sees his wife. Ochai, not terrible before this, but once he gets angry, Gordon is a beast. Ochai, when he gets angry, goes from being a really good player to a great player. Yeah. You know? Like Bobby Boucher. Like, yeah, go, yeah, okay, so he sees his wife flirting with that guy in the stands. Isn't yeah. it like David Hasselhoff or something? You've got to get angry. Get angry. And that's exactly how I envisioned it happened with Ochai. He got in the huddle. He goes, and then he hit a bunch of threes. (laughs) Ochai's normally just such a happy, mild mannered. Mm -hmm. Just like Gordon. Yeah, just Just nicest guy in the world. But when he gets angry, watch out. Glass half full sort of guy. I don't know. We didn't really see him get 
angry. The closest we've ever seen him getting angry is, I don't know, the third three last night, he did something. I couldn't really tell what he did, but I think he was just excited. He's excitable. I don't know if he's easily agitated, though, unless you inadvertently bump him in the chin, then all of a sudden he turns into Superman. I was excited about the prospects of this guy being angry and going nuclear and leading Kansas to a Final Four. But now I wonder if he's even going to get that chance. I would imagine just based off his performance, that wasn't him who tested positive today. Well, didn't. And this I think it's possible mean... to go for 26. <laughs> and... Could you imagine KU's like, well, we got to keep playing him then. That's a joke. Don't actually do that. Um, didn't Ochai, I thought it was said, like Bill Self at some point over the course of this year said we had, like, I thought he said like Ochai tested positive in the summer. That doesn't mean he'd be clear now. You could obviously test. I thought twice. I heard that like half the team tested positive in the summer. Yeah, so, so I wonder if this I, is this is the case of guys getting it for the second time. Right, it could be that. I mean, we know there's different strains now, um, or it just could be a new face. You know, we don't we don't know that they'd still have the antibodies. If I'm anybody, if I'm Texas, if I'm Baylor, go to other conferences: Iowa, Illinois, Houston, Michigan. Alabama, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Why would you even continue playing in your conference tournament at this point? What is what do you have to gain? Especially, you know, if you're locked into your seed, like because you can say, but you can say seeding even if you wanted to say, I want to move up a seed line. Yeah, Kansas is it worth it? Kansas wanted to lock in a three. That's seed. a good point. Kansas wanted to lock in a three seed as opposed to fall into the four line. You would rather be a four right and now. I'm, I'm not to saying, be healthy. and yeah. I'm not saying now you made a mistake by playing, but I'm saying you can look at Kansas or Virginia, by the way who had a positive test, and they had to back out of the ACC tournament earlier. Duke, it happened to yesterday. You use those cases as an example as to what can go wrong. So I'm not blaming Virginia or Kansas or Duke. I'm just saying if I'm another school who's still alive, I'm looking at what happened to them and saying, I don't want that to happen to us. I don't want to have to sit here on the Friday before the NCAA tournament wondering if we're even going to be able to play, Mm -hmm. if we can even put a team on the court. I I do think you give extra props to some of those conferences that – you know, like the Atlantic 10 did this, and there were a few others that played last week. And they basically said, we're going to move our conference tournament up a week. That way, you still have a week in between this and the NCAA tournament where you can just bubble off. And, you know, if you get you get eliminated from this conference tournament because you had COVID, but then you're back and ready to go next week and you need a game, you could always schedule it at the last minute as well to try to boost your resume. That's what these other conferences should have done. There should be a week in between the conference tournaments or just not even have the conference tournaments altogether from when that began, the end of the regular season, to the start of the NCAA tournament because you can't have an actual bubble if you don't go into it quarantining at first. Remember, like, the NBA when they did their bubble? They had, like, two weeks where they just, okay, we're just going to bring the players in, quarantine them, see who tested positive. They'll do their own thing before they enter the bubble get healthy, then come in, and then once everybody's in, isolated, now we know it's closed shut, and we're going to kind of be tight from here. Yeah, I mean, we know, at least at this point, we know even if Kansas is able to go by next week, they're not going to be at full strength. They're not. Unless the positive test from earlier today proves to be a false negative. That's the only way, or false positive. That's the only way they would be at full strength. So even if Dave and Tristan can come back and play, whoever tested positive last night, you don't have the timing to be ready by next weekend. And even if Kansas does play next week, doesn't it kind of feel like the season is over right now? 
I, I know that they're probably trying to stay optimistic internally, but from uh, from our perspective, from a fan standpoint, do you not get the feeling that even if you can put a team on the court, you're not going to be at full strength in terms of bodies, and even if you're close to full strength, if you're only missing one guy from your rotation, you start to wonder, well, how close to actual full strength are the players that are out there? Yeah, to me, it seems like too many ifs. It's, okay, well, if nobody else tests positive, or if very few other people test positive, and then if that happens, then we can play. And if we can play with a depleted roster, maybe we can play a, a lower seed, and if we can find a way to win, then we can make the second round. And then if we can find a way to scathe by a second round game, then we're in the Sweet 16, and now all of a sudden some of those players could come back, and then if they look like their normal self, then maybe the run could... There's too many ifs, you know? Realistic to me, either they're not going to play or they'll be out by the first weekend. Like I said, I would be surprised if we see Kansas in a second-round game. Man, imagine Marcus Garrett playing in your last season at Kansas and you didn't get to play in the NCAA tournament either of the last two years. If I'm him, not only do I feel shortchanged, I'm not, we're getting the cart way ahead of the horse here, but I'm wondering, like, does this make you want to come back for an extra year? Like you got robbed of an NCAA well, that's why they, two years in a row. They're allowing the extra year for situations like this. So, yeah, it would suck for Marcus Garrett, and it sucks that that would now have to be part of the decision because normally the decision for him would just be as simple to say, okay, well, here's my draft stock. I'm either going to stay or go back based on that. Now you have to factor that in, which is unfortunate because maybe he was a guy that wanted to go pro to begin with. But I, I think that rule is in place for a reason, so – it would be unfortunate, but it's not going to be that different than what a lot of other players are going to have to deal with this year, too. Uh, Matt Tate just tweeted out, been on the phone for a while, sensing mostly optimism that KU will be able to play in the NCAA tournament. Far from a guarantee. A lot will depend on the next couple days, and it could be one heck of an experience, but definitely still very possible. Stay tuned. Yeah, It's possible, but when he says a lot depends on the next couple of days, meaning a lot of testing over the next couple of days to see if there's any more positive tests. Not stemming from last night, but stemming from wherever the player who tested last night got it from. KU's living on Hope Island. Yeah. You know, they put out the big pile of rocks on front of the beach that says SOS, hoping a plane flies by. But what are the chances the plane flies by? Yeah, not great, because it's a big old ocean out there, and some of those islands are pretty small. So, yeah, concerning, to say the least, for KU. And I wonder how many more teams would have to test positive or get shut down before the NCAA decided to delay the NCAA tournament. Well, when they put all these rules together, they made it sound like, sorry, you're just kind of SOL. And I kind of think that would be the category Kansas is in. Same thing with Virginia. Virginia's in the same spot that KU's in. Not a bona fide title contender, but certainly in that group of you know, basically teams ranked from 6th to 20th, where it feels like it's just this big muddled mess. Both those teams are in there and now wondering if they're even going to have a shot. We'll talk more about this week from hell for KU with Matt Galloway of the Topeka Capital Journal. He's going to join us coming up next. Slow news week for Kansas Athletics. So um, I guess guys like Matt Galloway now have something to write about with the uh, piece of information that came out Earlier today, Kansas has now had a player test positive earlier today. They are not playing in the Big 12 tournament, 
And now you wonder if the rest of the season is in jeopardy as well. Matt Galloway, speaking Capital Journal, joins us now on the show. Big picture, let's just start there, Matt. What do you think this means for Kansas the rest of the way as we are now a little over a week away from the start of the NCAA tournament? Yeah, well, first of all, I mean, it's it's just another gut punch for, for the athletic department and the university. And, and after what I have to just assume has been the week from hell there. I mean, it's hard to imagine a worse week for any athletic department ever, maybe, <laughs> other than, I mean, I guess, you know, around 4.30, the NCAA violations or the, the ruling on that could come across and not be favorable for KU. So, I mean, that would just be the... the uh, rotten cherry on top of the crap Sunday, I guess, in terms of what this this athletic department has gone through over the last week. But what this means for this team is, look, I already th- thought that this was a team that would have to hit some outside shots to make any kind of significant deep run. They haven't shown a real uh, ability to do that since December, so I didn't expect them to make a deep run anyway. But you're already talking about, even if David McCormick comes back, you know, we don't know if he had COVID for, for a fact or not. Um, but, I mean, even if he comes back, you're talking about someone who, if he did have COVID, is going to be, you know, it, it takes players a while to come back from that. Just look around the Big 12, the players that have come back from COVID. Uh, Brady Manick, I mean, how long did it take him to get going? So I, I look at it and say that this is a team where you just have to go in, uh, especially given what happened today. Just go in with a total, totally free mind and just look at it like you're, you're playing with house money. I mean, you know, if, you, if you're a KU fan and, and KU is playing next Friday or Saturday, that is better than, I would say, the outlook right now. So no matter who they're playing, no matter if they lose on Friday or Saturday in their first game, I think you just have to look at it and just, I mean, is this, is this wrong for me to be saying this? Is this, uh, is this kind of like really looking at the silver lining of a a torrential downpour to say that you just have to be thankful that they're playing if they end up actually getting to that point? Yeah, because I think at this point, everybody's attention turns to the the press release that is coming out and saying that KU has another positive test. Because I don't know what the threshold is, either in your mind or officially, but you'd have to think they are one or two positive tests away from the season being over. I mean, they only played seven players yesterday. There are only seven players that they really, uh, I guess, eight whenever you have David McCormick, nine maybe if it's a, a blowout or whatever. And you, I guess depending on what you feel about Tristan and Arena. But, I mean, you have to have five players available on hand. And, I mean, given the fact that, you know, what we know about how transmittable this virus is, uh, knowing that, as CBS reported, that one of the players that played in the game yesterday for Kansas is the one who tested positive, I just have a hard time believing that. I mean, it, I would say at this point, I would consider it luck if they make it through this stretch, uh, or good fortunes maybe, without another positive. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, they're staying in Kansas City. They're, I think that's wise. Um, they're going to continue to practice out there and have as much of a bubble as, I guess, possible. But... I mean, I look at it, this, these conference tournaments were a bad idea. They, I, I don't think that KU necessarily got it at this conference tournament, obviously, because they just played their first game yesterday. But I think the fact that they brought it into this environment and that you look at what's happening in the ACC, you know, these aren't bubbles. They have fans. They have teams arriving within the last couple of days. These aren't bubbles. It's a, it's a sham, and it's a, it's a disgrace. It's spit in the face of what the NBA pulled off so successfully. 
called these bubbles. And this is this should be the biggest learning ex- experience for the NCAA to realize, if it's not too late, that the health of this tournament and the legitimacy of the upcoming NCAA tournament is paramount. And maybe it's not too late to create even more of a bubble than you require, which is at this point seven consecutive days of negative testing. Well, Matt, KU has had such good luck, relatively speaking, to everybody else in college bat. I mean, we've seen teams get shut down for a couple weeks at a time, in the case of Baylor, for almost a month at a time with either contact tracing or positive tests. KU's been so lucky, but yet don't you sort of wonder how this happened? How, okay, we go back to Tuesday when it was announced David McCormick and Tristan and Aruna entered COVID protocols. At that time, I think everybody, rightfully so, sort of wondered, okay, how bad is this going to get, right? Is contact yeah. tracing going to all of a sudden mean that this guy has to sit out too, and now this guy's in protocol, and now this guy's in protocol? We don't know if those guys tested positive. They never released that information. But now that we know another player has tested positive, I'm not trying to retroactively place blame because I don't know exactly what happened. But my, my initial reaction was, if a player tested positive, how did that slip through the cracks when you're doing contact tracing over the last couple of days? Yeah, I mean, it's a good, it's a good question. We, I mean, we don't even know who uh, tested positive today as of this afternoon. And, um, you know, as of, McCorm- you know, with McCormick and Inaruna, like you said, we don't know if both, neither, or just one of them have COVID. I mean, Bill Self mentioned yesterday that he guessed that they were probably watching it together in their room, which would lead me to believe that, you know, if, if one of them had it, they would probably not be both watching it together. But yeah, I know it is. It's, it's, it's easy to look at it and wonder if it's a case of someone slipping up. Bill Self has said all along that it, it takes a, a, a combination of luck, uh, good fortune, I guess, and discipline to make it through the entire season without a COVID outbreak. And really, I think that with what Kansas team health and KU had been able to do over the first few months of the season, when you look at it compared to situations at Baylor, uh, particularly, but basically all across the Big 12 where COVID interruptions had put on pause the team's activities uh, several times in some cases. You look at it and you just think, okay, well, this is a KU team that's hungry after what happened last year. They're going to be as disciplined as any team in the country to make sure that they you know, don't slip up at all. And I'm not saying at all that anyone slipped up, but someone had to at some point have come in contact with someone who had COVID. I mean, that is the bare minimum of what we know. Even if we don't know that McCormick or Inaruna had COVID, we know that they came in contact with someone who had COVID. So how did that happen, I think, is a fair question to ask with the most important part of the season just a week away. Uh, I think that's a totally fair question to ask. And, you know, it's it's an uncomfortable question to ask, but you have to look at it and wonder, at any point, uh, were there any slip-ups? Did any players or anyone go to any public events that might have um, – led to something like this. I mean, you don't know. And it's tough because this is such an unusual year. It's such an unfair year. No one is being asked more than the players on this team to just sit around McCarthy Hall for six months, basically, and just eat and sleep and play video games and then go to the gym. Like, that's basically all they're being asked to do. But you would think if you're going to slip up at all, uh, it would happen at a time where it's not the most damning or damaging of the entire season. And, uh, I'm not saying that's what happened here, but at some point, someone had to come in contact with someone who had COVID. So somewhere along the chain, and I'm not even saying it's with the players, 
but somewhere along the chain, someone slipped up, and it's an unfortunate situation. I would, at this point, view it more as bad luck as opposed to lack of discipline because we simply don't know. But um, it's definitely something that could very easily wipe away KU's postseason for a second straight year. And depending on what happens this summer, I mean, you're looking at who knows how long before KU's going to go between NCAA tournament appearances. I hadn't even thought about that. It well, I mean, be. I'm not saying that it's. I'm not saying it's a guarantee that they're not going to make this one. I think, but like I said, I I would view it as just knowing what we know about this virus more likely than not, in my opinion. And I'm not a doctor. I'm not a lawyer. Whatever. So I mean that that much has been established over the last few days. But I think that it's. I mean, just knowing what we know about this virus and how close all these players are. Um, I mean, I, I find it hard to believe that they're going to make it through this and be able to play in the tournament. But if they are, like I said, KU fans should look at it like a positive and, and view it as a house money type situation. Talking to Matt Galloway of the Topeka Capital Journal here on Rock Chuck Sports Talk. If you're any contending team in college basketball, how are you not packing up your bags and getting out of Dodge? so to speak, and refusing to play any more conference. What, what, what is there to gain at this point when you're seeing not just Kansas but Duke? You see Virginia earlier yeah. today. You're talking about potential Final Four caliber teams in Virginia and Kansas who are now wondering if they're even going to be eligible to play in the NCAA tournament. How do you not just get the hell out of these conference tournaments? No, I'm done. I'm done. If I'm, if I'm a coach at one of these conference tournaments, and I, you know, I guess I just would pick up a phone and, and dial Lon Kruger, and I would ask him if he feels like it was worth it yesterday to play Kansas. I'm oh, yeah. sure he doesn't at this point. So I, I would say I'm, I'm bailing on it. I'm saying, I'll see you in Indianapolis. If I have a seed secured, uh, if I don't, then I'm playing it out, but that's it. I'm done. These, these conference tournaments were always a bad idea. They were always meaningless. And now, I mean, I guess Oklahoma just has to hope that their season wasn't wrecked yesterday. Yeah. I, I hadn't really thought that far forward either as, as Oklahoma. I'd be pissed if I was Oklahoma. I'd have a lot of questions. No, I would absolutely be pissed. And, and because KU, KU, and it's not like they, you know, it's everyone knew this. Everyone knew that KU had two cases, not cases, but two players that were out due to protocols, whether they tested positive or not. And you can say that it's on Oklahoma for not saying, you know what, uh, we're, we're just going to, we're just going to sit this one out because KU, uh, we probably don't think it's worth it given what we know about the virus and incubation periods and things like that. So, I mean, you could say that Oklahoma, Oklahoma entered this with eyes wide open that, honestly, it's quite possible that KU could have played yesterday with a positive player, even though they have had days of negative tests, and that's exactly what happened according to uh, CBS. Well, I would wonder that, too, for the NCAA tournament. Like, even if Kansas is able to go, based off the way this happened with two guys going into COVID protocol three days later, another guy testing positive, like, if I'm the first-round opponent for Kansas, I'm probably calling NCAA selection committee. Is there anybody else? Is there anybody else we could play instead, right? Because I would have yeah. serious skepticism about right. playing Kansas next weekend. Well, I mean, it's 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 on the NCAA, right? I mean, they could they could honestly, it's probably too late, but I mean, they should create as much of a bubble as possible. Players should arrive, and they should have a long, long period before they play their first game. And I know that that's not realistic, considering we're less than a week away from the first four. But to me, that's a failure of the NCAA in, in and this attitude that, that we're past the pandemic, that it's over, it, it's not. That, that today, everyone who thought that got a reality check slapped right across the face. And, uh, you know, you, you look at it and, and you know, the, the idea of having 25% capacity at these arenas, 
whatever. I mean, who knows whether or not that, that will affect it at all. But to me, the NBA gave the NCAA a blueprint. And granted, there were fewer teams at that bubble, but they could have created enough sites around Indianapolis or at different places around the country that you could, that you could probably really lock everything down and you could have a legitimate tournament over the course of three weeks. And instead, you know, it appears that they're just going to go straight from these ill-conceived conference tournaments into an perhaps ill-conceived NCAA tournament. And there's, I don't foresee any possible situation where we don't have teams advancing to the Elite Eight, maybe the Final Four, due to other teams just not being able to play. I mean, all Texas had to do to make the Big 12 championship game was beat Texas Tech. Are we going to really look at it like they're a legitimate champion if they, if they, you know, win the Big Twelve title game tomorrow? Probably, yeah. If they beat Baylor, honestly, I'm talking myself into that live on the air. <laughs> but, but, you know, what if Baylor ends up having another, you know, their third or fourth or fifth or sixth or whatever it would be COVID pause, and, and Texas just ends up being gifted the, the Big Twelve tournament? I think that everything through this year has already had to have been looked at through, you know, COVID lenses. But to me. Um, you know, it's no different than how the regular season unfolded. It's just people became numb to it. Now that it's on a bigger scale and that it's quite frankly happening in our own backyard, I think it's a reality check that people probably weren't expecting going into this week. I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves here, but I mean, what if Marcus Garrett doesn't get to play in the NCAA tournament his final two years in Kansas? Like if I'm him, yeah, I, that would be, I would, that would be a shame. Man, I'd be like, I was robbed of the last, I mean, half of my potential NCAA tournament appearances. The year before 2019, the team just wasn't very good. Like, that would be, I'd feel pretty shortchanged at that point if I were him. Yeah, I mean, he's had a, he's had a good career. Uh, you know, defensive player of the year, obviously, made a Final Four as a freshman. But you look at it and you would say that, you know, and who knows, I mean, I, I don't know enough about what actually happened to cause this outbreak to speculate. So, I mean, who knows like exactly how everything unfolded, but I mean, it would be, it would be a huge shame for a player that cared about winning as much as anybody that has ever been here from everything that Bill self says uh, to not be able to play in, in the NCAA tournament in, in his final two years at Kansas, if that's the direction he chooses to go this off season. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it, it would be a shame, but there there were stories all like that last year, and we're just going to get even more of that, I think, as this, as this ramps up. So, I mean, God bless the committee, because I would have no idea exactly what to do. I mean, you're going to have reserve teams. I think through, through Tuesday is the latest that teams could drop out and be replaced, if I read that correctly, and then uh, after that, teams would just advance. So, I mean, if you're not going to have a bubble for the first couple weekends. I just don't understand how you couldn't have a true bubble at the final four, because you're looking at a situation where other major sports managed to get by their championship games without having them just completely destroyed or postponed massively by COVID. Uh, and I think you're, you're looking at, or their championship series, and you're looking at a situation here where I just don't, I don't know. I think the NCAA is playing with fire, and I think today, today I think really illustrated that. I, I wouldn't be bullish about the NCAA tournament coming off as not only uninterrupted, but feeling as anything other than completely illegitimate, honestly. All right, so let's, let's try to be somewhat optimistic here for a second. If KU is able to play 
in the tournament next weekend, which Bill Self said in the statement released by KU. You know, they're going to start their prep. I know they're going to stay in Kansas City. I think that's just um, what protocol dictates. So they stay in Kansas City, begin prepping for the NCAA tournament. What kind of chance do you give? I mean, not knowing what it's going to look like in a day or or three days or a week from now, I mean, how skeptical would you be about Kansas's chances of doing any damage, just knowing what other teams, I mean, look at what Baylor looked like after taking three weeks off. What kind of chance would you give KU of, of having success in the tournament? I mean, not to be too negative here, because, uh, you know, you frame that question in kind of a positive way, but I guess I'm just kind of being Debbie Downer today. But just look at what Bill Self said in his, in his news release today. He said that he's looking forward to preparing his team probably in a unique way for next week's NCAA tournament. And, yeah, a lot of that's about the preparation and the unique way that they're staying in Kansas City and having these consecutive tests. But I think he's anticipating going in with a far different team than the team that we saw turn, turn their season around and – uh, really kind of become a top 10 type of uh, you know team or roster, I guess, and, and really just group of players that had completely bought into the defensive end of the, of the floor over the last month. So, you know, look, they played seven players yesterday, and even if they get David McCormick back, you're talking about the positive today, as CBS reported, being a player that actually played in the game. I'd consider everyone that played yesterday irreplaceable. I would consider Mitch Lightfoot irreplaceable. I would consider Dewan Harris irreplaceable. And if neither of those players or any of the starters are the ones is the one who tested positive and that player is not available, I would say that that significantly damages my expectations for KU. And I would I would go in completely thinking that it's totally possible for them to lose in the first in their first game. I don't know how you feel about that, but I would look at it and say if you're a KU fan, enter with no expectations and uh, hope that they can pull off a miracle, I would say. if, if they, I, I don't see any scenario where they would be able to be full, full force back. No, we've seen too many teams as good, if not better, than Kansas struggle coming back from COVID. And that was, you know, when you had the luxury of a week or two to sort of get your feet up under you, and Kansas is not going to have that luxury. So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I put a lot of faith in Bill Self to find the answers, but this is a an equation he's never had to solve before, so um, I'm kind of with you. I don't, I don't. I, the, the optimism was just the idea that they'll be able to play, right? We don't sure, have to be sure. optimistic about their chances because I think at this point, um, it's really tough to be. But, but, I mean, my my point earlier, and and I understand that, but my point earlier, I think that I feel like that's good enough. Like yeah, if they get there and they I play, agree. as of Friday afternoon, that would be a positive development in my book. I agree a hundred percent. Just being able to get there would be seen as a positive based on how you're probably feeling internally inside that program right now. He is Absolutely. Matt Galloway. Check out his work in the Topeka Capital Journal. As always, appreciate the time, man. Thanks for having me. Could your business use a little push right now? Need help getting the word out there that you're hiring? Do you just want to let people know how great of a product you have? Well, you can advertise with Rock Chalk Sports Talk and or the Best of RCST podcast. For more information, contact D Johnson at gpmnow.com. That's D Johnson at gpmnow.com. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Schwert and Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. We got Dennis Dodd of CBS Sports who's going to join the show coming up 
Later this hour, I'm Nick Schwartz. He's Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chuck Sports Talk. All week it was, we don't have time to talk basketball because there's so much going on with the football program. I thought today we would come in and be talking a lot about the football program again, and now all of a sudden the football program talk is back in its rightful place. In what regard? In that basketball tends to be more popular in these parts than football. And it in what regard? In that it, it tends to be more well-received when we spend lots of time talking about basketball than when we spend lots of time in March, no less, talking about football. So I appreciate that. That's the thing. Whenever I'm being opaque and I'm not being specific enough with my verbiage, I love that Jeff is right there to clarify things for our listeners. So thankful that even though Jeff Long is gone, Forever a part of the show. He will forever be the uh, the third wheel, so to speak, of RCST. But we'll talk to Dennis Dodd about his thoughts as to who's going to replace Jeff Long and how this situation that KU finds themselves in in 2021 is different than the one they found themselves in three years ago when they hired Jeff Long. Now, when they hired Jeff Long, they already had a coach, but it became quickly apparent that they didn't really have a coach anymore once they hired Jeff so Long. So it's basically the same. They had yeah. an interim head coach, basically. Yeah, it just yeah. it the order of operations are switched just a little bit. But yeah, they had a head coach, but he wasn't a head coach for much longer. I mean, the second the day that Jeff Long got hired, David Beatty was no longer the head coach. Unless he would have, if they would have won six games, would he have still tried to fire him with cause and been like, oh, guys, we found him cheating and I just can't have that. <laughs> I run a tight ship around here. So we'll do that coming up in about uh, half an hour or so. Matt Tate uh, went on a little Twitter thread. Um, It sounds like he has spoken to Bill Self recently. I'll just share you some quotes that Bill Self shared with him. KU plans to take today off and will practice Saturday and Sunday. Their flight to Indianapolis is on Monday, and KU may practice in Kansas City before that too. The seven consecutive tests that you need to have, the seven consecutive negatives that you need to have before participating in Indianapolis, he said that that started well before now. Quote, we've been getting tested every day for a while now, which a while that's vague. I don't know what that means, but it would to me at least imply it's been before Tuesday, which tells me that David McCormick, Tristan and Aruna either tested positive or were wiped out due to contact tracing before Tuesday. And if it did happen, you know, they played Thursday against UTEP. If it did happen Friday, Saturday, Sunday, in this aspect, it's a good thing because it lengthens the table that you have to get back and take all these tests and sort of fill out your 11 days or your seven consecutive negative tests, whatever that ends up being. Self did say the player who tested positive today may not be eligible for the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. Nothing is certain on that, though. I'd be pretty surprised if they're ready to go. The player who tested positive last night, again, unless it proves to be a false positive. I just don't see any other way. You just don't have time. Because if you tested positive yesterday... The only way you're getting seven consecutive negative tests in the next seven days, which would be now and next Friday when the NCAA tournament starts, is if you didn't actually have the virus, if it was a false positive. Self continues, this is all according to Matt Tate. We're still confident that we're going to go to Indy on Monday and hopefully still be seated in a good slot. 
Self said McCormick and Inaruna will not travel with KU on Monday, but should get to Indianapolis before the tournament starts. Again, if that started last or, or this past Tuesday, then they could get their 11 days in as long as they're not feeling symptoms by a week from today. If it started before then, then you feel even more confident that that could be the case. He brought up the seed. You know, a, a big reason that people have been talking about, well, KU getting a three seed would be so much better than a four seed. I mean, it's just obvious math, but uh, just the idea that, hey, we don't get to play the one seed in the Sweet 16 if we make it there. Now it's not as important for that reason. It's more important you get the three seed this year for the first round. Like, uh, the difference between playing a 14 seed and a 13 seed, maybe it's not much, but, like, if KU is playing with a depleted roster, you want as weak of an opponent as possible. Yeah, and I mean, last we saw they were on the three line. You beat Oklahoma. That game still happened. That's still a, a quality win. You getting essentially kicked out of the Big 12 tournament or having to withdraw from the Big 12 tournament, I don't think that's going to hurt you. It just removes any possibility of you continuing to bolster your resume. I think last I saw in Bracket Matrix, they had Oklahoma State as the second three seed, Texas as the third three seed, Kansas as the fourth three seed, West Virginia as the top four seed. So West Virginia's done. Texas, and if they beat Baylor, that would solidify them as yeah. a three seed. But I think it helps for KU, like Villanova lost, Virginia's out. So uh, some of these teams that are around you that maybe would jump up from a four to where you are, Maybe they fall. Now, maybe Florida State's a team that could jump you. Maybe that would hurt you. But I think as far as, like, the argument between KU and West Virginia, I, I would think it favors KU. I mean, um, I'd have to look at, like, the the quad rankings or the quad wins and the, you know, your win-loss versus quad one, quad two and stuff. But off the top of my head, the two teams split. KU had the better conference finish by half a game. They went further in the same conference tournament as them. Um, they have around the same... You know, metrics with the net rankings where I think KU is actually higher. I know KU is higher in Ken Palm. So um, if that's who it comes down to, I think you'd feel good about getting three. But at this point, like I said, I well, think imagine how we were feeling after last yeah. night's game. Compare what you just said to what we would have been saying or what you could have said last night after last night's game or what you could have said this morning had we not gotten this news. We would have been saying that, wow. This is a team that looked really good for 20 minutes against Oklahoma. They did it without David McCormick, but you got unbelievable minutes off the bench from Mitch and from Dewan Harris, that Bryce Thompson got the start, that you started the game with energy, that you just looked like the team that was the aggressor against Oklahoma. Who You know, Oklahoma three weeks ago was a top 10 team. We know they're not that. They're still a tournament team. We felt really good about this team and really confident in their chances against Texas tonight. Like, what were you thinking about Texas after, you know, those games wrapped up last night? Were you expecting Kansas to go on and win tonight? Um, Not really. I mean, Texas was a one-point favorite. But, like, at this point, do you really care? Like, we could have this conversation about No, but I'm, I, this, it's a broader conversation about no, 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 the I way mean, this team's been playing the last yeah, no, three weeks. I, I mean the seeding. Like, honestly, do you care... At this point, where we are, if they get a three or four seed, or will you just be sitting there like, not really? Okay, good. At this they point, got to I'm just going to feel did. blessed that they get to play in the exactly. tournament because they're going to get seated on Sunday, but that still won't guarantee that they're going to be ready to go by Friday or Saturday. You know, I mean, you've got. 
five teams, if I'm just looking at how I would sort of tier these teams now that we're sort of near the end of the season, and I don't really think there's anything uh, that that could happen this weekend that would really change any of this. I think there's five teams. Gonzaga, Baylor, Michigan, Illinois, and probably Iowa. I'd probably throw Iowa in there. You could maybe put Houston in that bunch if you want to as well. But from there, I think there's like 13 teams. There's like 10 to 13 teams where I can't really distinguish any of them. Like Ohio State and Alabama and Villanova and Florida State and USC and Creighton and Kansas. Like Kansas is in that mix along with Texas and West Virginia. I mean, I don't know Oklahoma State's going to get a three seed. I still personally, having watched them all season, I don't view them on that tier. Yeah, but they're nine and five against quad one. And they're really hot right now. So throw them in there if you want. It doesn't really matter. But Kansas is in that mix. And yes, I would take those top five. I I would take Gonzaga and Baylor versus the field. So I would certainly take the top five versus the field. But somebody outside of those top five, probably two teams outside of that top five, is going to make the Final Four. Mm-hmm. And amongst the Ohio States and the Alabamas and the Virginias and the USC's and the Florida States of the world, Villanova, like Kansas is right there in that mix. And yeah, I'm not going to take them in a one-game set against Baylor or Gonzaga, but one of those teams, a couple of those teams are going to make the Final Four. So the idea that, oh, well, Kansas hasn't looked like a Final Four contending team, all year. Well, neither have any of those other teams, but somebody's going to go on a run. Today, though, I feel much less confident that Kansas is going to be primed to go on a run because of the fact that I don't even know if they're going to be ready and if they are able to play. Like, how close to 100% are all these players? Like, David McCormick and Tristan Anaruna may be playing in a game where they've had one practice before. And in that one practice, like, how much work did they really do? That's what concerns me, is that Maybe you'll be good in three weeks because you win two games and then you get another four or five days to get right. But those two games at this point seem like a a far cry from being a given. Yeah. And, like, it it affects players differently with their conditioning. Like, Brady Mannix struggled for a long time for Oklahoma. Um, You know, you could argue that whatever you want to say about the Baylor game against Kansas, um, I know a lot of people were like, well, that wasn't – fully healthy Baylor, but I think they probably disproved that after that by winning a bunch of other games against good opponents. You could go with the the side of it and say, well, Michigan came back from their COVID pause and they came back on Wisconsin. So they took a week off. First, all sides. They took yeah. a week off though. They took and like eight KU days doesn't off. have that luxury. Um, I don't know. I just, I keep going back to the fact that there's so many ifs involved here. There's so many things that have to go right at this point just hoping that a bunch of tests go your way for KU to even play in that first game. And then from there, for you to even win that first game shorthanded. You know? And if you do make it to Sweet Six, the Sweet 16, we might have a completely different story to, to be talked about because then it might be like, okay, here come the reinforcements, you know? But it just seems like a too tall of a test. Okay, but like we don't know who, we don't know the player who tested positive last night or today. But according to Matt Norlander, that player played in the game. So it's not Christine Han or uh, Latrell Giselle, right? 
it's one of those seven guys who played. We just talked to Matt Galloway in the last hour, and he said, I don't think any of those players are replaceable. And he's right, because you don't have anybody to replace them with. It's it's not necessarily that those guys are just so good, there's nothing they can bring to the table. That may be it, depending on who it is, but it's that who are you going to replace them with? You don't have anybody else. But if it is, I, I'll just go ahead and say this, and this is reckless, but I don't think it is Ochai or Marcus Garrett because those guys looked tremendous. Now, unless they are just symptom-free, which could be the case, it's just it would be sort of surprising to hear that oh, Ochai had the best game of his career when he had COVID. Well, I wouldn't personally relate it to their performance just because if they were having symptoms yesterday, which led to a worse performance, why did they play? Right, right. So I would think that the symptoms started today. They would have started feeling bad today. Yeah. So I I wouldn't relate it to performance. You're probably right. Um, But if we're using that moving forward, if it is Ochai or Marcus or Jalen, like those three specifically, I mean, there's a massive blow. Yeah. Massive blow because for either, you in the first week into the tournament. Right. If you don't have any of those guys for the first two games, yeah, like with Ochai, he is your most consistent offensive threat. With Jalen, he is your Swiss Army knife. He's your best rebounder. Mm-hmm. With Marcus, he is your leader. He is your lockdown defender. There's nothing you can do to go about replicating that. No. I, I mean, yeah. Without Marcus, at the very least, you have Dewan Harris, you know, even though is Dewan going to play 40 minutes at that point. Uh, without Ochai, at least you have another wing who can shoot in Christian Brown. I don't know, maybe Jalen might be the most irreplaceable to me because at that point with Dave already out, it's like, oh, now it's only Mitch Lightfoot and we have no other options at the five. And Bill said after the game last night, they didn't just go into the game saying we're starting five guards. They decided if they would have started Kuwait, then they would have, KU would have started Mitch, but they didn't, so they started Bryce and played five guards. So that wasn't a any sort of uh, foretelling into the future as to how KU is going to play. So it's going to be a day-by-day basis trying to figure out what's going to happen next with KU. We did get a bit of an update for KU football last night when they announced their new interim head coach. His name is Emmett Jones. Is that the right move? What does it mean, not just for KU in the short term, but for this football program as KU looks to find not just an AD, but a long-term solution as their head coach. We'll talk about all of that next. So last night, KU announced that Emmett Jones, the team's passing game coordinator, who is now going to be going into his third season with Kansas after coming over as the wide receiver coach from Texas Tech, has been named the interim head coach. We don't know how long that interim title is going to last. We don't know what the timeline is going to be for KU going out and trying to find a long-term head coach. I think most importantly, though, Derek, we don't know how this hire, this announcement of interim head coach going to Emmett Jones affects the timetable because you don't have an AD and you need to get an AD before you get a head coach. Now, you can let a coaching firm or a search firm go out and sort of vet candidates. I can't imagine, though, whoever is making that decision, whether it's Kurt Watson, the interim AD, or Doug Gerard, the chancellor, is going to completely allow the search firm to go out and make the hire on behalf of Kansas. So I think that timetable gets pushed a little bit. Do you think it gets pushed to the point, as we have mentioned a handful of times, and as some of our guests this week have mentioned, that Kansas allows 
Emmett Jones to be the interim coach through the 2021 season, giving yourself a longer timetable and mitigating any risks of players leaving in the short term because they're not happy with the guy who was named head coach. Because all you have to do is go to social media, go to Twitter, and see the outpouring of support from current players who were saying before the announcement was made that they wanted to see Emmett Jones get this job. Yeah, I think this was the right move, not just because of all that player support, but he seems like your shining star, your guy who, if you were to say, hey, somebody on this coaching staff is going to be like a successful head coach, like he would be the top guy I would circle. So, well, he's the most popular yeah, amongst the players. And, and in this case, recruiter, that's probably a yeah, good thing. younger guy. Um, maybe he's the type of guy that, you know, you found kind of something that you weren't expecting, like you knew he was a great receivers coach and recruiter, and he turns out to be a good head coach. So I, I think he deserved that shot, and it's a situation where, you know, you can kind of figure that out in-house for if you will need um, another head coach. I, I think the thing is with Emmett Jones, he's probably, with all that player support, going to be the guy who keeps the team together the best. Like if Mike DeBoard would have been the guy, you probably would have seen a few players maybe decommit, ask out of their national letter of intent, or maybe transfer away from the program because they don't have relationships with Mike DeBoard. A lot of the players have relationships with Emma Jones, whether they work with him on the offensive side of the ball or it's just guys that he recruited or he has relationships with their former high school coach. The only question I have is if they do go and make a hire of a guy who maybe runs a triple option, right? If you're going out there and you're – um, hiring Jeff Munkin or Willie Fritz, you know, it it doesn't matter whether you give Emmett Jones a year. It doesn't matter whether you give Emmett Jones three months. It doesn't matter if you gave Emmett Jones no time. Like, your top receivers would transfer no matter what. Like, Quay Davis ain't playing on a triple option team, you know? So there is part of me that says, yes, it's nice to keep these players around, but also I think no matter what, if you make a coaching change at any point, there's going to be player movement. So John Kirby brought this up when he joined us yesterday, the idea that, or I guess that was two days ago, the idea that because you're making this decision right now, all eyes are on you. You are not competing with other universities and programs who are going out there trying to make coaching hires. So whoever you zero in on, if it's Lance Leopold at Buffalo, Buffalo, if it's Willie Fritz at Tulane, Munkin at Army, you're not competing for attention with anybody else. That is a benefit for KU, that you get to go out there and target these guys, and if they're interested, you're going to know right away. There's not going to be any games to play by leveraging other programs or other offers against you. What I do think, though, is the idea that you could have your short list of candidates, and if you were to wait through the end of the 2021 season to actually offer or hire anybody, what you're doing is probably naturally weeding some guys out because there are going to be some guys who you are zeroing in on who have seasons that aren't up to par. And by doing that, you are naturally going to whittle that list down to who you really want. I just don't see the downsides of letting Emmett Jones coach throughout this season. And if he does, like we've seen with Wichita State, right? Right before the season, the timetable was a little bit more compacted, but right before the season, Greg Marshall's fired. They name Isaac Brown the head coach. Wichita State goes on to win the AAC. They give him a big contract extension. He's named the conference coach of the year. It, it worked out great for them. And now they don't have to go on with this coaching search. I'm not saying that KU can't do better than Emmett Jones. We don't know what he's going to be like as a head coach. We do know he's popular. 
that's a good first step of getting the players in the program currently to buy in. If it works out, you've saved yourself the trouble of having to go through a coaching search. If it doesn't work out, you've just given yourself a more robust coaching search with more data to go off of to make that final decision. Yeah, I, I think there are a lot of positives to be had. Uh, but, I mean, I don't think we can act like this is a 100% foolproof situation either where it's like, oh, you have to go with the interim here and that's going to make things better. There are some downsides. You know, what if you have another, I don't know, 0-12, 1-11 season and then after that, some of the head coaching candidates are like, yeah, maybe the cupboard is a little more bare than I thought coming into this year. Or what if there's more competition for one of the head coaches you wanted and now all of a sudden he takes a different job or he's offered more money and now you got to pay that guy more money. There are some possible downsides to having to wait as well. Yeah, but with the, the weird timing, don't you think the upsides out outweigh the potential risks knowing that there's nothing that can really happen between now and the end of the season that's going to make this job less appealing than it currently is, right? Like, we can make jokes about, oh, who wants to come coach at Kansas? Look at all the track record of guys who just haven't been able to figure it out. But if there are guys sitting here today, like if, if Willie Fritz is looking at this job saying, I want that job after everything this program's been through, if he wants it now, he's going to want it again in a year. If Lance Leopold is, is making it known, hey, I'm interested – what, if KU goes 0-11, all of a sudden he's like, ah, never mind. I, well, they're, they're not as good as I thought I, they I mean, were. I don't know, you know, you see the recruiting classes of the high school kids that you're bringing in and, like, highly rated classes by KU over the past couple of years. You know, what happens if you go through a fall season, you go 0-11, some of these kids transfer away, and then all of a sudden you're stuck in a David Beatty situation just randomly where it's like, oh, we have one commit in tow for 2022. You know, at that point, does it change your mind? But I think more so the the situation would be that you have other competition for those jobs. Because if there's another, any other Power 5 job that's open, they're probably taking that job over yours, right? Probably. I mean, there's specifics like Willie Fritz is from the area, right? So it's not just a job that he wants because it's a Power 5 job and it's a step up. It's also probably a job he's wanted for a long time because uh, he's from the Shawnee Mission area. He's got family around here so I don't know man um you know what's interesting about Emmett Jones is the reason that people were excited when he came on two years ago to be the wide receivers coach was that he had a track record of being a really good recruiter at Texas Tech right he was the former head coach at Dallas Skyline where Marcus Garrett was South Oak Cliff where oddly enough Shady Arthur came from really good recruiter and that has been the case since he got to Kansas as well I mean you you, you bring in Quay Davis, the, I think it was a hundred top 150 player in the class of 2021. Yeah, Stephen Parker in year number one, LJ Arnold last year, uh, Velton Gardner from Skyline. Like some of the best recruits that are currently on the roster were guys that Emmett Jones brought here. And I would be interested to know the impact of him. Now, not being the passing game coordinator, not being the wide receivers coach, not even being the offensive coordinator, but just the idea that Emmett Jones is the head coach of Kansas for now. He's the interim head coach. Does that heighten the impact that he has and the influence that he has over top preps from the Dallas area more so than, hey, I want to go play with this guy because he's the wide receiver coach. Oh, I want to go play with this guy because he's the head coach at a Power 5 university now. Yeah, it probably does. Um, but at the end of the day, if you know results matter. It's like the Penny Hardaway thing, right? Like Penny Hardaway had... Uh, 
I forget if he was an AU coach or high school coach or whatever. He had local ties, obviously, with Memphis. And the first year he comes in, maybe it's the second year, I don't know, but he had ties to that big class where he's bringing James Wiseman and all these guys. Then once the results aren't there, maybe as much as you think, like, and what were we saying what's at the Memphis time, bringing the in now? What were we saying at the time? Like, this Penny Hardaway is going to turn Memphis into a perennial power like they were under John Calipari. And you're right. Like, it didn't work out. If it does work out, though, then all of a sudden it's a snowball effect. I still think even if it doesn't work out the way that you're intending, because I don't know what does work out mean, you know, all of a sudden going from a zero-win team to a, a three- or four-win team, right? Because that's what Charlie Wise thought when he got to Kansas was. If I just get there and win three or four games every year, then I'm golden. It didn't work out. If Emmett Jones is thinking that, like, I, if I just win three or four games, first off, easier said than done. Second off, I don't know if it matters that much. I mean, we saw with Tony Hole, he was still getting top players to come from Louisiana even when Kansas wasn't winning games. Maybe it's not so much about winning games because if Quay Davis, a top 150 player, is coming to Kansas, sure, there may be other circumstances that led him to having to settle, so to speak, for a program like Kansas. But also there has to be an element of winning can't be the number one priority for you. No, but I do think it's, anyway. it's different when that guy is the head coach. Because then it's like, oh, now the win-loss record is applied to me, you know, as yeah, opposed to when you are the associate. Coach, you can say, yeah. huh. I'm a great receivers coach. It's not, not my even, fault. I'm yeah. not even calling the plays. Mm-hmm. Now you're not, you may not be calling the plays, but you're running the program. But you remember when Les Miles got hired, what did we say his number one thing needed to be yeah. was just being, being the sort of CEO for Kansas football. You don't need to run the plays. You don't need to micromanage and breathe down your offensive coordinator's neck, be the CEO, oversee this rebuild. With Emmett Jones, I kind of view it the same way. I Honestly, unless you're Andy Reid and you are a transcendent offensive play caller, if you're in a place like Kansas, yeah, you're going to be the CEO as opposed to, like, I'm not, have you even thought about for a second, oh, what kind of offense is no. Emmett Jones going to run? No. I think about the fact that players respect him, Players want to play for him, and he can recruit at a really high level. Mm -hmm. The fact that you have the respect of the players in the locker room makes me think you are already off to a great start in terms of being a CEO and having a good culture within the program that players are going to respond to. No, and I agree. I I love the hire, um, the interim tag. I just The only thing that, for me, if you find what you deem to be the perfect candidate for this job, I don't think you should sit there and say, well, we should wait it out. Sure. No, I agree. Yeah. I agree. I don't know what that is, though. I no, don't I don't either. Is. Urban Meyer. There we go. Keep going. Nick Saban. We need a guy with less with less of a hairy. I mean, yeah, Urban yeah. Meyer would be too messy. That's true. Right after Les Miles. Um, okay, Nick I saw, Saban. I saw a mailbag on The Athletic. I don't remember who. It, I think it may have been Andy Staples. Somebody asked him. It purely hypothetically, if Nick Saban decided he was bored at Alabama and wanted a new challenge and took over at Kansas, you know what was the timeline for doing X, Y, and Z? I think one of them was uh, winning the Big 12, going to a bowl game, winning a national championship, winning, getting the number one recruiting class. And Andy Staples basically said, you're never going to win a national title <laughs> at Kansas. You're never going to get a number one recruiting class at Kansas. You may get guys who never would have previously considered Kansas to come play for you. Um, facilities would probably improve immediately because donors would be, can you imagine donors oh, yeah. being like, hey, we want Willie Fritz. 
Like we want Gus Malzahn. And Sorry. Then, and then Nick the AD, yeah. you know, athletic director Danny Manning comes in and says, "How about Danny, how about Nick Saban? Will you get behind that? <laughs> Where do I sign? Right. So it doesn't matter who you get. There are certain benchmarks that you're just probably never going to pass. Wait, no, but I want to play out this hypothetical. Okay. How many students are at KU? Thirty thousand, give or take. I don't know. Okay, so uh, raise tuition, five hundred dollars, five hundred dollars. That's all I'm asking. And with that five hundred dollar raise in tuition. Over 30,000 students, that's $15 million, I think. You think? Maybe. I think that's right. $15 I, I, million. You Don't look at me. Right. I always come to you with I'm the I'm just going to go with it. $15 million. That goes to Nick Saban. Is he saying no to $15 million a year? I think there's a bit of an issue raising tuition for the sole there's purpose only of- only 500. No, why don't you just get the donors to pay for it? You got billionaire donors. You got Philip Anschutz. You got Dana Anderson. Like they'll they'll probably be more than willing to pony up for Nick Saban. Honest question: What do you think Nick Saban would need? Is there a number? We we've talked about this like two or three years ago with Scott Chase, and it's not about the numbers because he'll get the numbers. <laughs> yeah. Nick Saban will get the number from. They him. offer him fifty million dollars. No, year. he this said. I think Scott said you'd have to change the name to the Kansas Nick Sabans. The hey, State. it's possible now. Did you see Michigan State? Or what if Nick Saban was just like, I really like Tigers. I think this is all Scott's bit. But he said, I really like Tigers, so you have to change your name to the Kansas Tigers. No, but this is all possible now. Did you see Michigan State? They are now, it's like MSU Spartans brought to you by like Rocket Mortgage uh-huh. or something. Yeah, well, he's got to deal with Aflac. So do that. Kansas brought to you Aflac. by Nick Saban. No, he's got it by okay, Aflac. Sure. Kansas Nick Saban's brought to you by Aflac. Aflac would on probably board. pay for the hiring yeah. at that point. Would you be on board with that? What if it was just the Aflac Jayhawks? Oh, no, they change it from Kansas Jayhawks to the Aflacs. The Aflac. Aflac, Aflac no, the Ducks. Aflac Ducks. Or is it a goose? I think it's a goose. Okay, the geese. I mean, it'd be a unique team name. You know anybody else but the geese? Here's the problem with doing this. You, I mean, I don't know how many more years you're getting out of Nick Saban for this trade-off, right? Like, he's an older he's guy. there, yeah. Would you do it? If he guarantees yes. you five years, you're probably going to do it. He wouldn't even need to guarantee You're winning a Big 12 championship I'd in that it, five years. I'd do it for two years. I would do it for two years because regardless of what you accomplish while he's here, you'll be set up for success after that. And other coaches will be like, well, what if Nick Saban was so interested in that job, then maybe I should start kicking the tires on that Kansas opening. All right. He's Derek Johnson. I'm Nick Schwartz. Let's talk about where Kansas is going to go from here. What's next with their head coaching hire and with their athletic director vacancy, Dennis Dodd of CBS Sports is going to join us next. It's been a busy, hectic week for the Kansas Athletic Department, but the weeks that follow are probably going to be just as significant, if not more important, to what comes next for KU. Let's talk about it with Dennis Dodd. CBS Sports, he joins us now on the show. Dennis, if we were to go back three years in the case of Jeff Long, about two and a half years in the case of Les Miles, what were your thoughts at the time of these hirings versus your thoughts today with both Long and Miles out of jobs? I, I thought they were they were good hires, and I, I, I'm not speaking out of turn. Anybody who doesn't think that is probably not evaluate, evaluating their careers at that point. Jeff Long, even though he's been fired at Arkansas, I think had a great reputation that he built basically with getting rid of Bobby Petrino in 2011. You know, that to the point where when that happened, you know, there were there were people wondering whether he would be able to stick around Petrino and, and Jeff Long took the bold step of firing him. Well, uh, you know, that didn't work. And then the Les Miles thing was good too. I, I, you know, Les had plenty of energy 
he had, you know, kind of stated that he wasn't going to, you know, he's going to change his offense. And he did, um, you know, he got away with, with some of the stuff he did at LSU that he was criticized for. And I thought he had plenty in the tank. Um, it's just unfortunate the way it ended. And we can look back on it. We know why Les Miles is out of a job now, but what would you point to yeah. as the biggest factors that led to Jeff Long's demise, so to speak, as the Kansas AD? Well, the tipping point was questions over whether he properly vetted Les. Now, I'm, you know, I'm not, I, I don't know um, for sure one way or the other if he did. Um, I know having talked to people there that they thought he did, but when something that serious comes down the pike, you know, you have to, uh, you know, you have to address that. And, and then there, I think there's a frayed relationship with Phil Self. Uh, but, but again, um, if, if the less miles stuff doesn't come down, then, you know, as long as you can get along with Phil Self, you're going to be fine. But that combined with three and 18 record. Um, and then Tuesday, I think, sealed his fate on the Zoom call where I came away from that Zoom call thinking, okay, he's got me okay. He's going to be able to make this higher and move on. That was what he projected. I think the opposite was true when he said it. In other words, he hadn't properly you know, gotten that okay from the people he should have gotten it from. So, and then, uh, what, a day later, he was fired. Yeah, you know, hindsight 2020, but I think even at the time, it was a little surprising when we heard that Jeff Long was going to host that press conference on Tuesday. Mm -hmm. were, were you surprised that Doug Gerard let Jeff Long go up and, and conduct that press conference? Well, not really. Uh, as, as the standing AD, I, look, as a, as a media member, I'm always in favor of that. There were questions that needed to be asked, and he stood up there and answered them sometimes not well, but at least he made himself available and answered it, and he didn't hide out. So, and, and we don't know for sure that Doug Gerard signed off on him doing that. You know, he may have just done it mm. uh, to do it on his own. Um, you know, that's what, I'm, that's what I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not sure what he said about being in control to hire. We're going to hire a search firm, blah blah blah. That that had been vetted with, you know, the people that mattered. So. Uh, no, I, I, I personally have a problem with it. Had Jeff Long decided to give David Beatty his buyout money, do you think he'd still be employed today? Mm, I'm not sure. I don't know. That's a hypothetical. And so we, we'd be arguing over what, $450,000 in a buyout. Yeah. But I think what you're saying is if they hadn't contested the buyout, yeah. you know, would that, would that be the case? I, I don't know that. I mean, the charges leveled against Les were pretty serious. And by, you know, by comparison, not comparison, but at the same vein, Jeff Long. So those all would have been in place. And David Beatty would have, you know, walked away and gotten his $3 million. I think it added a level to it, sure. Um, in other words, you probably took, it was a bad decision to contest that, to try to get out of that $3 million over some level two and three violations, uh, you know, after the fact, try to save yourself $3 million. It, it didn't seem worth the effort. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, we can do this, but how much do we want to contest this? And we found out we want to contest it up to $450,000. And then after that point, it didn't make any, any, uh, 
uh, budgeting sense, any accounting sense. So we're going to walk away. I think when you put it all in the rearview mirror, looking back on it, that was the moment where sort of the the seeds of doubt were yeah. perhaps planted for long. Yeah. No, that no, that that's accurate. It was like, why do you need to go there? Hmm. You know, just let's just close the door on this and, and move on. Nobody's cheating anybody here, and it turned out that they, you know, it, the what whatever was against them in this litigation wasn't worth fighting for. Uh, you know, more than $450,000 worth. So that in itself is a bad decision. Dennis Dodd, CBS Sports, with us here on Rock Chuck Sports Talk. So how would you compare this situation to the one Kansas found themselves in three years ago? It's not the exact same sort of um, job opening. I know that at the time you still had a head coach. Right now you have neither a head coach mm-hmm. nor an athletic director. So are there similarities? Is this job more attractive, less attractive when you look at the, the AD position than it was three years ago when Jeff Long was hired? Well, I think you got to take the whole thing as, you know, in, as one. There's much difference than three years ago. You, you're starting from scratch, uh, for better or worse. Add to that, basketball has this probation hanging over its head, the NCAA, so that's different. And should come this year, I, I would hope, for Kansas purposes, it comes this year because it's been too long. Uh, and so whoever inherits gets that AD job has to inherit that, has to hire a coach. The other side of that is I think they've got some really, really good candidates and people that are interested in the job. So if they don't mess it up, those people in charge of hiring the AD, then I think they're going to get somebody good. You've seen the names for football coaches. There's a lot of good coaches that want the job. It's not like it's a poison job. You know, Willie Fritz, Lance Leopold, Jeff Munkin. Um, Kevin Kane at uh, at Illinois, uh, Dan Lanning at Georgia, the defensive coordinator at Georgia, once the Kansas job. Um, so that's that's pretty good. In the, the ads, I mean, there's God, there's so many people out there. There's now an awareness, a, a gender and diversity awareness, where you just take those folks who have been underrepresented alone, and there are some home run hires there. Um, so that they should do well if, if they don't screw it up. That's a big if, though, because we, yeah. <laughs> we've yeah. seen a, a lot of bad hires, as, as, I mean, especially when it comes to the football department and the athletic director over the past decade or so. I mean, you've been yeah. around. You've seen these hires, Dennis. Is there a personality trait that stands out to you just in terms of this is what I would be looking for if I were making these hires at Kansas? personality traits for what job well specifically for the football coach um I, I feel like there's a tendency to sort of get snake bitten if we were to lump some of these guys together um i, I think of sort of charlie weiss and and les miles in yeah, hindsight yeah. as these sort of c-list football celebrities yeah, who you retread yeah, yeah exactly um i i mean personally i'd like to see a, a, a head coach with head coaching experience someone who's going to stay. In other words, not a, a stepping stone job offer. Willie Fritz isn't going to leave. He's 60 years old. Um, Lance Leopold is 56 years old. I think he'd stay for a while. Um, and, and look, if, if, if you can't, if you get the, the hot guy and he's using it as a stepping stone job, well, look, guess what? Kansas has to own that. You know, they've done nothing to prove that it shouldn't be a stepping stone job if they have that guy. But if they can get somebody 
you know, either young or old, frankly, I, I didn't mean just old, experienced uh, as a head coach who would stay a while and build something because it's going to have to be a build. I think we saw that with Mark Mangino, the last example, and England Mason, the last two examples when they won big. Um, it's going to take a while. So you would hope they, they get somebody like that. A lot of the names that you did mention were guys with previous head coaching experience, just in terms mm-hmm. of names that are floating out there right now. Do you think that's uh, an important quality that it takes for a job as unique as Kansas? I do, just because I, I think it's hard to learn on the job. David Beatty hadn't been a coordinator, um, hadn't even been a coordinator. Uh, Turner Gill had not, I don't think. Um, and Charlie White and Les Miles are different stories, yeah. but you would like to see them lure a sitting head coach who has experience and has, you know, does, doesn't have to learn on the fly, you know, about being the man 365 days a year, even at Kansas. You know, you're responsible for the program. So that already has that nailed down, done it before, and, and can come in and say, okay, and it has a binder full of ideas and here's what we're going to do. Um, I think those people are around. Again, it's just a question of the leadership at Kansas recognizing it. If athletic directors aren't quite as easy, I think, for the common fan to sort of start throwing names out. Football coaches, mm-hmm. people watch on Saturdays, hey, this guy stands out. I can look at his records. I can look and see what he's done with his programs. Athletic directors are a little bit more difficult. I know you're uh, more knowledgeable on that side of things than perhaps a lot of people. What do you think Kansas should be looking for in their next AD? Well, to me, it's Terry Mahadra's job if he wants it, the, the AD at, uh, at UCF. Um, it's, it's been his dream job. He was at Arkansas State for a long time, just left to go to UCF, I think, within a month, and now has a decision to make. You know, this, when's the next time his dream job is going to be open? You know, it could get messy if he leaves UCF, but he, he'd be great. Um, I think is a guy that I would put on to this week, his name is Travis Goff, I think. Uh, from Dodge City, he's a he's a senior associate at Northwestern. Is absolutely loved there by Jim Phillips, the former AD who hired him, and now the commissioner of the ACC. KU guy in charge of football at Northwestern, and that's the, obviously the next guy or woman that gets the job. That has to be job one. You got to fix football. Basketball is going to take care of itself, even with probation. So um, those two. Who else did I have on my list? I'm trying to think. I saw you mention Oliver Luck, which was a name that... Oliver Luck. Yeah. And I have no idea if he's interested, but you give him the job tomorrow if he wants it. Because here's a guy who's got an impeccable reputation, very capable, West, former West Virginia AD, former number two at the NCAA, um, was most recently commissioner of the XFL. That didn't work out, but is so well-respected in the college community. Uh, you know, to me, you want somebody, if you can, that reminds you of Bob Frederick, who was that quiet, solid leader. Um, Oliver Luck reminds me of that. And again, I have no idea if he's interested, but I think he, look, you got to make that call. And you, and you got to make it quickly. Either scratch him off the list or, okay, he's interested. Um, and get going on it immediately. Terry Mohajir has been the name that I think uh, I've heard mm-hmm. floated out the most. He's been on the move a lot, and he just hired a new head coach at, yeah. at Gus Malzahn. How much does that complicate things? 
Well, it complicates things only that he would, you know, I don't, I don't, I think Gus Malzahn cares, but Gus Malzahn's a ball coach. So he's just, you know, that's the guy who hired him. He'd be inheriting another AD, but Gus Malzahn's a brand unto himself. So he, I think he's confident in his ability. They'd be really, really mad at UCF, but <laughs> these kind of things have happened before. Um, and look, he could say, you know, you know, power five, top five basketball job. Uh, you know, what I've worked for this my entire life. I hope you understand, but this opportunity came out of nowhere. And, and I'm sorry. Uh, I don't know what the buyout is. You know, that, that would have to be something discussed. Or if there's a buyout, I don't know. Um, you don't see this very often among ADs. So, and he's done a really good job uh, hiring football coaches at Arkansas State. Uh, he inherited Gus Malzahn, I think. Um, yeah, he was. He came in September of Gus's only year at Arkansas State, but then uh, hired Brian Harson. Um, you know, he so he's done. Uh, hired Blake Anderson, so he's done a really good job. He knows how to conduct a search and hire a search, and I think that's the biggest thing with him. He's Dennis Dodd. You can check out all of his work, CBSSports.com. Dennis, appreciate you taking some time. I know it's been a busy week, so uh, thank you so much for the conversation today. Nick enjoyed it. Thank you.